Greetings and welcome to this session with Grace Point Church. Uh, we are thankful you are with us today. Greetings to our Grace Point Church family and to our guests who are with us today uh, through this technology and on the internet. Uh, we continue to uh, meet like this and we look forward again to the day when we can meet together again. Well, it is July 12th of 2020 and we are continuing our study through the book of Colossians. If you would take your copy of God's Word, whether it's in a leather-bound volume or on your electronic device, and turn to the letter to the church at Colossae in the New Testament, we are continuing our journey through this letter, and we're glad you're here with us today. If you're old enough, uh, you may remember Dan Jansen, the athlete. He was a speed skater, Olympic uh, competitor, uh, eventually won the gold medal, you may remember him because he was the man whose sister, Jane, had died of leukemia just before the 1988 Winter Games in Calgary. He really desperately wanted to win a gold medal in honor of his sister in Calgary, but there was not to be that year. And he failed in Calgary, but in 1992, he was in Albertville, Albertville France, and again, he came away empty. He did not win a gold there either. Uh, four years later in Lillehammer, Norway, he did win the gold medal in the 1,000 meters and set a world record on top of it. And I remember uh, that competition and how he, it was such an emotional moment for him when he skated his victory lap, holding his new nine-month-old daughter in his arms, who he named after his sister, Jane. After the Olympics, uh, Jansen was asked how he overcame so much adversity and kept going, kept competing. Uh, he said he reflected back on a time when he was 12 years old and he had lost a skating meet, a race, and his father was driving him home and uh, Dan said he pouted all the way home. His father was silent until they arrived at home and as Dan was getting ready for bed, his dad came up and into his room and said, quote, son, life is more than skating in circles. And then he left. Jansen said that one comment changed his whole perspective of his life. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes life seems like we're skating in circles. You know, the drudgery of the same routines day after day can make life seem that way. And especially now with the pandemic and social unrest in our country, and it seems like we seem to be just going in circles, the repetitive circles of each stage of life from infancy to old age, work, rest, sleep, eat, repeat, work <laughs> comes again, marriage, children, grandchildren, diapers and dishes, progress and regress, regress can seem awfully ordinary and terribly tedious in our lives. You know, when we read God's word, God does not want us to simply endure tedium. He doesn't want us to just go through life in circles, if you will. Our ordinary activities can be infused with spiritual significance. Paul calls us in this letter to the Colossian believers to a higher view, a bigger picture of life, a higher perspective. And that's what he does for us in these opening verses of Colossians chapter 3. He calls us back to look as high as the heavens and to gain perspective for our earthly endeavors. Again, as I mentioned last session, we live in an age of emotional responses and feelings, and uh, we need to remember that for the believer in Jesus Christ, our experience does not determine the truth. 
Again, our experience does not determine the truth. Truth defines our experience. There is a vast difference between those two statements. So the false teachers at Colossae, at this uh, church in Col at Colossae, remember the Apostle Paul is imprisoned a thousand miles to the west in Rome, and his faithful co-partner Epaphras has come to give him a report at the ch about the churches in the Lycus River Valley, and Paul is concerned about the inroads that false teachers were making in the doctrine of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ in the church at Colossae, and so his primary purpose through this short little letter is to elevate the supremacy of Jesus Christ because the false, false teachers are tearing down that perspective. They have tried to make Jesus less than fully God, and they have attempted to seduce these believers into thinking that genuine spirituality can be attained by knowledge and keeping rules and having more experiences. As we saw last three times in uh, chapter two of Colossians, Paul told us the truth about Jesus Christ, that he is fully God, he is God, and that Christians are completed and full in him, and we are forgiven completely, and we have freedom in Christ. And now we learn the truth about what Christians and spirituality looks like. It is the foundation of Christian living, if you will. Remember a broad outline of the letter to the Colossian believers is chapters one and two is the description of what Jesus Christ has done. Chapters three and four, as we begin chapters three and four, it's what Christians should do or how then should we live, basically. The first section, chapters one and two, are the doctrinal part of the Apostle Paul, and chapters three and four is the application of that doctrine. How should we live in light of these great doctrines in chapters one and two? If you take your copy of scripture and follow along as I read, beginning in chapter three, verses one through four, it's the passage we're gonna look at today. Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. <clears throat> Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse four, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we desperately need the ministry of your Holy Spirit to give us insight and understanding of your truth. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in creation, in your creation, and in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the word of God. We thank you today that we have copies of your word in our own heart language, that we can read them anytime, and that we have the freedom in this country to own as many copies as we'd like. And may we be a people who uh, are adherents to reading your word and prayer. And we thank you that you are with us here today, even though we are the church scattered. We are not in person together, and yet, Lord, we are still the church wherever we are in our homes in our communities, uh, with families, with friends, at our workplaces, Lord, that we are still the church. And thank you for that. And thank you for your power and strength that comes to our lives. And we pray today for understanding. We pray for our nation. And we pray that we as believers could be peacemakers and that we would be winsome and uh, proclaim the truth of what the Lord Jesus Christ has told us to. And we pray for our leaders, for a heart to seek your wisdom, a heart to seek unity, 
and the good of all people. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. In this uh, chapter, uh, this begins a new section in the book of Colossians, and yet these verses I've read for you, verses 1 through 4 in chapter 3, it serves as a hinge in the book. If you think of chapters 1 and 2 and then the rest of 3 and 4 as uh, two parts of a book, two covers, uh, the hinge right in the middle is verses 1 through 4. And it's between the primary doctrinal section and and then now it's introducing the primary, what we call the practical section. Uh, you know, sometimes people think doctrine and theology is not practical, practical, but it always leads to practicality in life, or it should lead to that. Our practical response to what God and who and what he is will be detailed for us in chapters 3 and 4. Uh, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3 conclude uh, this polemic, if you will, or argument against the false teachers and uh, that were invading the church that invade uh, the Christianity today. Uh, things have not changed, and there's false teaching, much false teaching around the world today. And the Apostle Paul has further exalted the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Remember, he is presenting everything comes back to Jesus Christ in the book of Colossians, his supremacy, his preeminence, and these verses provide the starting point for the alternative to the false teaching that these people are being exposed to. And it's the exhortation to make Jesus Christ the central in all areas of life, that he is preeminent and he deserves the centrality in all of our lives. In these uh, four verses, in verse 1 and verse 2, there is a, a verb in verse 1 and a verb in verse 2 which are the action words which are uh, instructive for us. They are exhortations. Uh, the first one, look at your copy of God's, uh, God's Word. In verse 1 it says, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking is in an imperative uh, voice, and that means it's a command. It takes on the force of a command, and keep seeking has this idea of desire. It has this idea of matters of the heart, of who we are as a people. And so that's the first exhortation. The second one in verse 2 is set your mind on the things above. Keep seeking, set your mind. Set your mind means be intent on, focus on. And these two commands are what the Apostle Paul is instructing us with and exhorting us and exhorting the believers at Colossae of how to live out our lives and how to live out a life that is spiritual and is attractive to others. In verse 1, uh, we are to continually align our affections upon the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, there's that word again. Therefore, in light of the context before all of chapters 1 and 2, basically, the preeminence of Christ, the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of what we've known before, what has come before, uh, we are to align our affections. That's the command on the preeminence of Christ. Genuine spiritual experience begins with an understanding of our identification in Christ. Uh, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And your identification as an individual and then as you're related to many other individuals is key in this. He goes on in verse 1, if you have been raised up with Christ. That if is not a question mark in the form there. It is since we have been raised up with Christ. 
Paul tells us that we've been raised up with him. This is a positional truth. The believer in Jesus Christ, we eagerly anticipate the bodily resurrection mentioned in Romans 8.11 and 1 Corinthians 15 and so on. This is not, however, what Paul is referencing here. <clears throat> what he's talking to, this reference to the resurrection, he's talking about a past event in the believer's life. We have been raised. The references to our identification with Christ Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul referred to this earlier in chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, and a, a greater explanation of it in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And you can read those as you have time. The text conveys that because of our identification with Jesus Christ, we have been granted new life which gives us the capacity to live a new kind of life. You know, there's this aspect the Apostle Paul teaches us and the New Testament teaches us that we have a condition in this world, but yet we have a position in Christ. And our conditions vary. And from day to day, our conditions vary. And yet our position is firm and secure. And he says, since you've been raised with Christ, and back in verse 1, the verb or the action word, the exhortation, keep seeking. It's in the present tense, so keep seeking, keep, uh, keep after it. Uh, keep seeking the things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Again, the Apostle Paul is answering the false teachers who dethroned Jesus Christ, and he is reminding us that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And what that means, the right hand is power majesty, authority, and privilege. It is also a place of rest. His work is completed in the death, burial, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we, he is seated at the right hand of God. And that is a wonderful truth that we are to continually align our affections, our desires on the preeminence of Jesus Christ. There's an aspect where we run, should, as believers in Christ, run everything through the grid work of our position in Christ. That would revolutionize your day-to-day -day life, and mine also. Marriages would be transformed, relationships would be healed, families and churches would live in unity and peace if we ran everything through the grid work of our position in Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is calling upon us to do, and he's going to detail that for us over these next two chapters to keep our fixing and aligning our affections aligning our affections on the reality and supremacy of Jesus Christ and our position in him. So keep that viewpoint. The second command is to set our eyes upon or set your mind upon there. And uh, I was thinking as uh, a young boy where we lived in Jefferson County, Colorado, there were some ponds south of where we lived. And one of the pastimes, my buddies and I, we'd go down to the ponds and we'd try to catch the frogs that were on the banks of those ponds. And when stalking them, you know, our, our success rate was pretty low. Uh, but I was unaware of their unique visual powers of a frog, which enabled me to see me coming so easily. Later, I learned that uh, a frog's optical field of perception is like a whiteboard that's wiped clean. And the only images it receives to its brain are objects that directly concern the frog, such as natural enemies or the foods that it needs for survival. Therefore, those amphibious little creatures are never distracted by unimportant things 
but are aware of only the essentials for their survival, and they're only aware of things that are dangerous to them. Although such a restricted eyesight for the human being uh, would be quite a handicap, I think. Nevertheless, there's a spiritual lesson that you and I can learn from that, from the frog's whiteboard vision. In the Christian life, we frequently become preoccupied with vain things of the world. We allow our lives to be so, become so cluttered and materialistic and uh, we're concerned with insignificant things that we lose perspective on things that really endure, things that really matter. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 37 says it this way, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. That's true revival. When Jesus Christ gets hold of a heart and turns our eyes from the, the worthless things of the world and revives us in his ways. So continually, this first command, continually align your affections on the preeminence of Jesus Christ. In verse two, we come to the second verb. And it's to continually set your mind on the perspective of Christ. The Apostle Paul always brings us back to Christ. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Lewis Berry Chafer, one of the quotes I carry around in my Bible, in my wallet. Lewis Berry Chafer was the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary. And this is a quote that he wrote. It was original with him. He said that activity is often the anesthetic for a wasted life. Analyze priorities in light of eternity. Let me repeat that. Activity is often the anesthetic of a wasted life. Analyze priorities in light of eternity. Years ago, <clears throat> there was a televised Senate hearing in our nation's capital, and the senators, uh, as I read the article, were considering a new ambassador to the United Nations and the late Senator Hubert Humphrey uh, was making a point when he said on television, quote, you must remember that in politics, how you stand depends upon where you sit. How you stand depends on where you sit. Of course, Humphrey, Senator Humphrey was referring to the political party seating arrangement in the Senate, but his statement applies to the believer's position in the Lord Jesus Christ. How we stand and walk depends on where we sit. Are you seated with Christ in the heavenlies? Well, positionally we are. Are we focused on him? It reminds me of Psalm 1-1, the very beginning. Uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor, the, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But the converse of that is that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And so we seek the things above in verse 2. Set your mind on the things above. Uh, the secret is found in Colossians there. Uh, habitually set your mind, measure things through that grid work of what God is doing. Our feet are on earth, but our minds must be focused with the perspective of heaven. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from the, the, the 19th century, he said that, uh, he used to say, we become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. That's not what the apostle Paul is telling us here. It means that in practical everyday affairs of life, we get our direction from Christ in heaven. It means further that we look at earth from heaven's point of view or Christ's point of view. Uh, you know, this doesn't mean that we become concrete thinkers. You know what concrete thinker is, don't you? It's a person whose mind is all mixed up and thoroughly set. 
but we make the choice to view our lives through the lens of Scripture and through the eyepiece of God's sovereignty. This will tra be transformative, especially in adverse, difficult times, perhaps, that you're going through right now. It is pre-deciding an action and a response before an actual occurrence. If you are strong and believe in the sovereignty of God, that he's in control of all things at all times and all places for his glory and the good of his people, and his providence is working those things out, then the pandemic isn't going to throw you off balance in your life. Yes, there are concerns, but yet when it goes back to the fundamental issue of who and what God is doing, he is sovereign, he is, and we can see it through the lens of Scripture. And so Paul tells us to continually align our affections on the preeminence of Christ and to continually set our minds on the perspective of Christ. Paul moves uh, to the basis for these exhortations. What is the basis for those commands? Well, Paul doesn't leave us guessing here in verses 3 and 4. He tells us that these exhortations are based on a past reality, on a present truth, and a future ex expectation. Paul begins by looking back. He looks at the believer in Christ's history. Our foundation is Christ. So the basis of our spiritual life, there are three tenses here being, uh, of being in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. First, there is, there is a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> For you have died, past tense, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, present tense, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then, that's future tense, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. This is the basis of the spiritual life. When you grip these three things, these three foundational principles that support the exhortations to align our affections, to set our minds on Christ, uh, we start understanding how great God is. Let's look at verse 3a there, the past foundation, for you have died with Christ. That's that past. The fullest explanation of this wonderful truth is found in Romans chapter 6 and through 8, a wonderful passage of Scripture. Christ not only died for us, that's called substitution, but he, we died with him. That's identification. So he is our substitute, and we are identified with him, not on anything we've done, but because Christ has opened our eyes to the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ not only died for sin, bearing its penalty, but he died unto sin, breaking its power. Because we are in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we died with Christ. This means we can have victory over the old sin nature that wants to control us. Romans 6, 2, the Apostle Paul writes there, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The fact is that Christians have the choice. We have the power resident in us in the Holy Spirit through his word that we can make the decision not to sin through his power and his grace. So this glance back, the Apostle Paul reminds us of our position in Christ. We have died with Christ. Now he goes to the present truth. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden. Paul wrote in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. Christ was Paul's life, and he was alive uh, to anything. Excuse me. He was alive to anything that was related to Christ, and so should we. Everything through that grid work is in Christ. And so this present tense, the Apostle Paul 
has told us, excuse me a minute here. All right. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. The present, in the present, our life is hidden with Christ. The reference to hidden can, re, uh, can refer to either safety or secrecy, you know, security and secrecy, but both are probably in view here. Uh, our life is doubly secure since it is with Christ in God. This is a reminder, and it should be a comforting reminder to you, of the truth that we find in John chapter 10, verses 28 through 29, where Jesus said, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The believer in Jesus Christ is safe and secure in eternal life. This is a reminder of that. No one can snatch us out of his hand. We are secure in him. We no longer live to the world but to Christ, and the source of his life is what we come to enjoy. Hidden in Christ means security, satisfaction, safety, and probably some secrecy. A.T. Robertson, who was a Greek scholar of some years ago, comments this. Uh, so here we are in Christ. I'm quoting him. So here we are in Christ, who is in God, and no burglar, not even Satan himself, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, uh, 31 through 39. And also the Christian life is a hidden life, if you will, because the world does not know Christ. John tells us that in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. The world does not understand the Christian life. Our sphere of life is not on this earth, but it is with Christ, the preeminent one. And the things that attract us or that attract us and excite us belong to Christ, not to earth. This doesn't mean we should ignore our earthly responsibilities. We all have jobs, we have parenting responsibilities, we have to mow our lawns, all those things, yes. Rather, it means that our motives and our strength come from Christ and not from our worldly environment. Christ is our life. Uh, eternal life <clears throat> is a heavenly substance that God imparts. When you see the word life here, eternal life, when you think about it, our physical life is a gift from God. In the original creation, he breathed life, the soul, into Adam. And uh, since then, our life, since we borrowed life, but with eternal life, the believer has eternal life because Jesus Christ gives it to him. We cannot produce eternal life in and of ourselves. Only Christ has eternal life, and he gives it, shares it with, with us. As in 1 John 5, he says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God does not have life. And so there's a clear distinction that those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life, for everlasting life, uh, do not possess it. They have a physical life, yes, but they do not have everlasting life in Christ. In the sense, we are dead and alive at the same time as believers, dead to sin and alive in Christ. Someone has said life is what you are alive to. Life is what you are alive to. You know, uh, some people get really come alive when you talk about uh, a hobby that they're passionate about or uh, sports that they're passionate about or food that they really like. They really come alive or maybe it's uh, cars or, or something else. But Paul wrote in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. Christ was Paul's life and he was alive to anything that related to Christ 
and so should it be to every believer. Everything should run through that grid work of the supremacy and preeminence of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul has taken us on a look back at our position in Christ, the fact that we have died with Christ. He's looked at our present position. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And now he goes to the future, and he talks about the glorious future, the expectation in verse 4. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, he says, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is a future tense happening. We will be revealed with him. Christ is now seated, as we know it, the Father's right hand, and one day he'll come to take his people home, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And when he does, we shall enter into eternal glory with Christ. When he is revealed in glory, we shall also be revealed in glory. According to the Apostle Paul, we have already been glorified, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. The glory has simply not been revealed yet. Christ has given us all his glory, John 17, 22, but the full revelation of glory awaits the return of the Savior, Romans 8 again. Someday, uh, this was uh, William Barclay, someday the verdicts of eternity will, be re will reverse the verdicts of time. Uh, eternity is what matters. Paul takes this idea of identifying with Christ a step further, not only is his, his life shared by identification with Christ, Christ is life itself. For the believer in Jesus Christ, life isn't merely our activities or our details. Life isn't the acquisition of things or accomplishment in the workplace or academically. Life is Christ, and he's the focus, should be the focus of our aspirations and the reason for our existence when we really think about it. If you've noticed, <clears throat> when we've gone through these four short verses, Jesus Christ is mentioned four different times in these four verses. Jesus is central and supreme. Paul doesn't want us to forget that Jesus is seated above in the position of honor. We are identified with him, if you're a believer. With this solid foundation, the lives of believers can be transformed. So we need to align our affections set our minds on Christ, and remember the basis of the Christian life, the past that we died to Christ, that we live for him. Uh, we are, life is hidden in him, and we have a future and a hope in Jesus Christ. It will be revealed. It's a sure thing. So the question is, is are you just skating in circles in your life today? I would challenge you that all the activities, all the things, the concerns, the things of your life that you focus on the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, if you're a believer in Christ, what your identity is. One writer has said, we are not citizens of this world trying to make our way to heaven. We are citizens of heaven trying to make our way through this world. We are not to live to earn God's love, inherit heaven, or purchase salvation. Those are gifts that are already given to us by Jesus Christ on the cross. We are to live as God's redeemed, as heirs of heaven, and as citizens of another land, another land, the kingdom of God. We live as those on a journey home. We know the lights will be on, the door opened, and our Father is waiting for us. In all adversity, our worship is joyful, our life hopeful, our future secure. But today, if you've never believed in Jesus Christ for everlasting life, your future is not secure. I'll be very blunt with you here today because the Bible declares that Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but 
by him. And so John 3.16, of course, the verse that God used to open my eyes when I was 28 years old to the fact that I have a future and a hope. For God so loved you, and you can put your name in there. For God so loved Gary that he gave his only begotten son that if Gary believe in him, he will not perish but have everlasting life. And you can put your own name in there. And notice the consequence, everlasting life. Who would not want to have that? We want everlasting life, but what is the condition? It's belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Over 150 times in the New Testament, belief or a synonym of that word is used as the requirement for everlasting life, eternal life with Jesus Christ. And so today can be the day of your salvation. Today you can recognize that you have all these blessings and, and the fact of who and what Christ is through chapters 1 and 2 and that we can keep seeking and set our minds on Christ, and that we have a past, a present, and a future that God is in control of. Christians are exhorted to continually align our affections on the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and to continually set our minds on the perspective of Christ, which are based upon our past reality, the present truth, and future expectation. When my wife and I went to Indonesia in 1995, we flew from... Uh, Milwaukee to uh, Jakarta, Indonesia. And then we had the transfer from the international airport and the international flight to the domestic airport and a domestic air carrier. And uh, we'd been on an airplane a long time. You know, it's that oxymoron, nonstop flight. It felt like nonstop flight. But anyway, we got to the other airport in Jakarta, Indonesia, and we were flying to the island of Borneo to the city of Pontianak. And we uh, boarded the uh, domestic airline. There's a smaller uh, air carrier, air, a jet. And when we got over Pontianic, we were descending and the clouds, it was just thick with clouds and the rain was pouring. And there was a lot of maneuvering by the pilots. At that time, uh, the cockpit door was open. So from where I was seated in the aircraft, I could see the pilot and the co-pilot and the navigator all up there working uh, together to get us down safely. And they kept doing a lot of maneuvering. And I kept, I knew enough about aviation at that time. I knew the stall warning horn was going off every once in a while. And it, it kind of bothered me. And I didn't know if we were going to get down safely because I had not heard real good things about uh, Indonesian airlines at that time. And uh, finally, we broke through the overcast and it was still pouring rain. And we landed in Pontianic on the island of Borneo. And as we landed, I looked out the window and over uh, on the, on the apron where the aircraft was going to park, uh, there was all the baggage handlers and the baggage carts. And they were all over there, thumbs up, two thumbs up, all of them. And I thought, my goodness, either the pilot really did a good job or they just said, oh, we didn't think you were gonna make it either. Uh, but it meant all is well, all is well. And we finally arrived. Well, we're all on a journey. We're all on this journey. Uh, and if you're a Christian, we look forward to the fact that all is well. Even today, all is well. If you're a believer in Christ because of our past, our present, and our future in Jesus Christ, we want you all to see that all is well today, tomorrow, and into eternity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for each one who's viewing this message and Lord, you know where each one of us are at, spiritually and physically and emotionally and all of those things. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would just be sensitive to you. And this week, as you give us our days, uh, may you be honored and glorified. 
and may we continue to walk the walk of faith and may Christ uh, just be preeminent and on our minds each day. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. Go in God's grace, uh, have a good week, and we'll see you next time.